From EAB, I'm Matt Pellish, and this is Office Hours. While many people have come to know EAB for a lot of our work in enrollment services, technology, research, there's actually another part of our work, really a part of our culture, it might be even more impactful than our work with colleges and universities. That's our community impact work, core part of our mission since I started with EAB over a decade ago. At this time of year, when we're all thinking about our communities, what we're thankful for, we're going to spend some time hearing from EAB's head of community impact, Catherine Brown, who's joined by Monique Reiser from the Urban Alliance and Monica Floyd from Streetwise Partners. They'll talk through ways colleges and universities can achieve some greater impact from their community service projects, even during COVID, in the midst of all the social distancing restrictions. We'll hear why volunteers from the ranks of higher ed, they have an outsized impact on the lives of young adults and some tips for motivating more employees to participate. Finally, we'll hear about trends in volunteerism in the wake of George Floyd's murder, including calls for more active involvement from employers. Thanks for listening, and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours at EAB. I am Catherine Brown, the Community Impact Leader here at the firm, and today I'm joined by Monique Reiser, the Executive Director of the Washington, D.C. Region of Urban Alliance, and Monica, the D.C. Program Director at Streetwise Partners. We'll be talking about a lot of things today, but the primary focus will be community service in times of crisis and change. Monique, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. I am the Executive Director of Urban Alliance in D.C., as you shared, which covers D.C., Prince George's County, and Montgomery County. And I am here in my home office in Northern Virginia, um, but working in in D.C. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Monica? Yeah. Um, So my name is Monica Floyd. I am the program director for the D.C. region of Streetwise Partners, which is a workforce development mentoring program. I'm so also excited to be here in the D.C. region uh, to talk with you all today. Awesome. Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit about the work that you all do? Yeah, so I already sort of touched on it. Um, At Streetwise Partners, we work with adults from underserved populations, um, really recognizing that uh, talent is distributed equally, but that doesn't mean that opportunity is. And so our solution to that is to pair our qualified and motivated job seekers with professionals who can walk them through the job uh, application process, but also work with them on um, skills building so that they can have a successful career. Um, We work with about 100 adults every year in the DC region and over 500 volunteers, some of them from EAB. So uh, lots of incredible work happening. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks, Catherine. This is Monique. This will be fun with a Monique and a Monica. <laughs> this is Monique with Urban Alliance. Um, and we are also a youth, uh, we're a workforce development organization. We focus on uh, youth, um, primarily seniors in high school. Um, we've been around for about 25 years, founded in the D.C. area and Southeast D.C., and now actually expand across five cities, including Chicago, Detroit, Baltimore, and Northern Virginia. Um, I'm very honored to lead the D.C. region, and our primary um, work is pairing high school seniors from public and charter schools in D.C. with paid professional internships. We put them through a six-week intensive learning process um, called pre-work, also known as the longest interview of your life. And then if they get through pre-work, 
and complete an interview with us, we match them with an internship in the, the area, as well as a mentor who is their supervisor. Um, we work, they work for nine months, part-time during the school year, and then full-time in the summer. And we've been very honored to serve about 2,500 youth in the D.C. area. Thank you for sharing. So, so much great work happening. I'm curious, what are some of the ways that your job and your programs have changed during the pandemic, aside from working remotely? And how has that changed the ways that you connect the communities that you serve with resources and mentors that can help them? Sure. Um, So this is Monica from Streetwise. Um, You know, I think the work that we do, we've always really focused on, on a holistic approach. Um, recognizing that, you know, economic insecurity is tied to food insecurity, tied to housing insecurity. But I think that has only been heightened in the last six, seven months. Mm -hmm. Um, And so our team is really working with our our mentees, but also with our volunteers to make sure that we're um, supporting our populations as best as possible in all of those different ways. I think the other big thing that we've seen change um, in Streetwise Partners is there's just been a massive increase in volunteer interest, which I know is something we, we really want to talk about today. Um, just because I think people are feeling disconnected from their community, they want to give back, they want to help out. Um, and so there's just been a huge rise of interest um, from our community to get involved and give back and do something. Yeah, this is Monique. Um, very similar to what Street Rise is experiencing. Um, we've seen definitely more interest um, especially following some of the civic action around George Floyd and um, Breonna Taylor, um, because the work we do is mostly with, uh, I see 99% youth of color from distressed communities. And so um, not only have they been harder with, you know, the health impacts of COVID-19, but the economic impacts. And, you know, now we've got this collision of talking about racial equity in our spaces too. And so, for, for me, how our, the job has changed has been both, I would say, operationally, um, just honestly, we're working more. I feel like we're working a lot more um, because we are home. And so you're like up working and then you're done working and you go to bed. Um, so we're just available to do more. Um, and then substantively, same thing. You know, we're a workforce development organization. We want you to develop soft skills that make them uh, ready for the professional workspace, whatever they do after high school. But we know that it is in the context of a lot of intersecting issues that contribute to why our program is necessary. So health, health challenges, home insecurity, food needs, especially with, you know, our youth are often helping younger siblings. So now they're at home. And so um, in a way, I feel like our work has become very focused on the root issues of why we're all here. And so we started a student support fund to meet, to meet those needs. We have implored mentors to stay connected, even if they couldn't continue work remotely. We were, we were just asking, like, we, just need, we need you to be there as a warm relationship for these students, whether or not they can contribute working for you because their work maybe can't happen remotely. So I would say in it, it, was, a, it was an important century moment for us that we're like, this is why we're here. Um, our internships are an important vehicle, but really we're here to care for the whole, the whole person. Yeah. 
Awesome. I, I think another interesting thing that I'd hop uh, and say is um, not only have we sort of had to look at that holistic approach, but something that Monique reminded me is I think also like the core of our programs have had to be um, sort of uh, rethought in the sense that our programs are so based around the workforce and education and higher education. And all of that is changing right now. We have students that are in uh, virtual school. We have um, a very changing job market. And so I think really thinking about that also has changed a lot over the last six, seven months. Definitely. You both touched on a lot of good points and Monique, you specifically touched on soft skills. So I wanted to ask you and ask you both, what would you want to tell higher ed leaders about how they can better support underserved student populations? In other words, simply getting more underrepresented groups or under-resourced groups into college is a really good start. But what are some of the soft and hard skills that colleges can help students, traditional or returning, um, acquire to prepare them for success after they graduate? That is a, such a great question, and I feel like I should have the perfect answer because that's what we do for a living. Um, I'll start by saying, you know, we at Urban Alliance have developed five sort of big buckets of core, core competencies of social and emotional skills that we want our students to have. And those are things like uh, self-awareness and communication. You know, it's funny to me that we use this term soft skills because we, we do this stuff every day without thinking about it. And so sometimes it is hard, I think, to step back and think about, okay, what are we doing as professionals that helps us be successful? And then how do we teach that to our young people? So how can higher education leaders um, support the development of those soft skills? Um, I'm going to, I guess this might seem very like tactical, but I have found that, you know, students, they learn by doing. And so schools that can offer practical ways to practice those skills are incredibly important. Um, for our students in particular, you know, they're coming into higher education, about 60% of them being their first in their family to go. And so um, the soft skills, I feel like, is something that higher education institutions can, can embed in the classroom, embed in maybe more workforce experiences, embed in clubs. There are lots of places that you develop them, but you have to be really intentional about it. I think that is what we have done pretty well, is we're saying to mentors, these are the particular skills we want them to develop. We're naming them, and we're going to show you the kinds of activities that can develop them. I think all students need it, but we want to make sure our students who maybe aren't seeing it as much um, really can name them and know that they have them and then know how to talk about them. So I'll just close with that is that, um, you know, I was the person my family to go to college. You know, I, I get that experience of it being a little bit of a foreign space. And I think I wish that my colleges would have helped us a little bit more on how to talk about ourselves and the skills that we bring to a workforce. Um, that, that may be sort of like the next frontier, I guess, for, for higher education is really connecting it. Like, how do I use this in the real, the real world? The other thing that I think um, higher education institutions really have the opportunity to promote is that idea of social capital. So, you know, we work a lot on soft skills, just like Urban Alliance. The other thing that we really emphasize at Streetwise Partners is the importance of a network and a, an importance of a professional network. 
And I think a student can graduate and have a degree and have all the skills, but they can still be locked out of careers if they don't have that um, thriving social network, that thriving um, professional network. And so I think um, knowing that, you know, 70% of jobs are never posted publicly and that, you know, 70% of jobs are gotten through referrals, I think universities have a really, really incredible opportunity to use their alumni network, to use their career centers, to really connect their students with those um, networks so that when they do graduate, they don't only have the skills, they don't only have the degree, but they also have the people that can help them get in um, those careers, especially once again, thinking of those people that are in underserved populations who don't already have those networks. How can we make sure that we're growing their network during those four years at college or during those two years at uh, community college, whatever it may be? I think social capital can be so important and forgotten about sometimes. Monica, you said something that also made me realize like, I don't think a lot of at least I didn't, and I'm a little bit older of a student, really maximize their career center. I mean, I got my first internship in college through my career center, and it was a very like offhand, like, oh, you should try the career center. But I kind of leaned on them because I didn't have a network to help me find anything. <laughs> um, and I was a student parent. I had a child when I was a freshman in college. And so I had just, you know, a trickier sort of situation to deal with. And so I would love to see higher education institutions really promote their career centers um, more and really help students, especially our first generation college students. I mean, they, they go to college because we become a college going country and there's a whole conversation about that, but it's great that they're going, but they need to get jobs and they need to get jobs that are going to pay them well. I mean, we could talk a lot in a whole other podcast about the wealth disparities between African-Americans and other populations. These are young people for us who are the first to do a lot of things. And I want to make sure that they are they're getting the most they can out of their higher education by getting a job that is going to be upwardly mobile and is a very strategic move for them. And I think career centers can help a lot with that. I agree. My career center at Central Michigan University provided us a lot of resources for mock interviews and resumes and really helped yep. set me up for success um, as I transitioned after college. And you guys talked about networking a lot. And at EAB, we push our mentors that, to connect their mentees to the networks that they currently have to help promote them through success. So that's one of the responsibilities we put on them. I'm curious, what are some of the experiences and skill sets that you think might make a university employee particularly valuable as a mentor to the communities that you serve? I think exactly <laughs> what you just said. Um, I, I think universities have such strong community feels. Um, like we know that when you are on campus, there's so much like school spirit. So like the students are all really connected. I think professors, staff, administration have the same uh, community feel, which is fairly unique to universities. And then you go on and you still have the alumni associations. And so there's this really strong connection between everyone. Um, which I think is very unique. You don't necessarily always get that in, a, in an office space and that sort of thing. So I think that's a really unique opportunity that someone in higher ed has um, to, to pass on and connect people in their network with their mentees or the, whoever they're working with. Yeah, I would just add that um, 
you know, I don't know that a lot of our students really know the the range of career opportunities within higher education. They might just think like professor, you know, but, you know, knowing that this is a whole industry where they could work and have influence, you know, a lot of our students want to give back to their community and they talk about big social issues like higher education, like getting jobs. Um, and so knowing that they could be a part of that industry to help shape how it serves students like them is a really important message that a mentor from higher education could carry to them. You could be, you know, you could work in the back office, you could work, you could be a professor, you could run an institution. I mean, to me, the ideal is that our young people from underserved communities see the arc of the potential in any industry they're in. And I don't know a lot of people are talking about how they can have real social impact through higher education institutions. So mentors from that space could uh, really open up the aperture of like what's possible in the industry they might not have thought about. Thank you so much. Colleges and universities, like a lot of large employers, are always looking for ways to provide employees with meaningful volunteer experience as a means of doing good, but also to raise employee morale and engagement. On the other side of that, also to make a good impact and use all the resources at their disposal, like you said, to really expand the view of how social impact and higher education, how they can be embedded into that. I'm curious on what advice you can share with higher ed leaders about the benefits of helping their employees become more engaged as volunteers and share the work that they do. That is such a good question. It's so funny because even I have to think like as a person who's in this work deeply and I think about higher education leaders and volunteers and I was like, you know, I never really thought about that before. I didn't know they volunteered. So I would say the same thing to them that I might say to other organizations too. And maybe it is even more important for institutions of higher education because they are the place where a lot of young people are still going as their next step out of high school. And so their volunteer their volunteers and efforts maybe are even more impactful that they are you know, there's the word proximate to um, to the communities that you do have to work harder to reach out to. If, if you're like a predominantly white institution, like you are going to have to work harder to diversify your space and find students who are great for your community but might not be thinking about you because they just don't see themselves there. And volunteerism is a really important way to like get that way of thinking in the bloodstream of any organization. Um I mean, it's just hard to ignore something if you have like a relationship with someone who comes from a, di- a very different community from you. That is how we get our biggest champions in a time where we know that resources are limited. But our message has been this this is the time where we need to keep the foot on the gas and like double down on working with for us, you know, youth of color from communities that are under-resourced. This is not the time to be making cuts on the lowest hanging fruit of what they might call charity. And I do think volunteerism is a really important part of that. Stay connected. Be invested in young people's lives who maybe not are the ones that are right at your door. You got to find them and find intermediaries like Streetwise and Urban Alliance to help you connect to them. Yeah, and just to echo Monique, you know, I think institutions of higher education are mission driven. And so, you know, I think the people that are working at your universities, at your colleges are there because they really want to have a purpose and they're really driven by that. And so by listening to them and listening to what they're interested in, I I think it can only improve engagement morale within your team. 
I would say it also gives you the opportunity, like Monique touched on, to work with people outside of your normal populations, which I think then can drive innovation to some extent, because you are trying to reach these new populations. You are trying to solve common goals. And so by understanding the issues better, understanding what these populations are facing better, your university, your institution has a better chance of being able to really address those root causes and being able to reach new populations and support students better. So I think there's a really great benefit, not only to the individual employees, but also hopefully to the institution as a whole, as you are able to sort of be aware of what's happening a little bit better, come up with new ideas, be uh, uh, connected to new um, programs that are already happening that might work and be adapted for your program. I just think there's business opportunities to benefit the employees, but also the institution as a whole. And institutions, they have students. So, you know, your students are not your employees, but like they have this huge advantage over other traditional companies and that they've got a population of young people who probably really want to do something. And so leverage that. Um, have them tell the the full-time staff of universities, like this is what we like would like you to do. Um, so that's an exciting opportunity to work more closely with your, your students, but I'm sure a lot of them know this and do this well, but I just want to encourage them to continue doing that too. <laughs> well, let us circle back on the discussion of the rise in volunteerism in response to the rise in activism and interest in social justice causes from um, higher education institutions and other large employers. Are you seeing a direct correlation in people's interest in getting involved because of what they're seeing? And how are you seeing attitudes change because of that? Yeah. <laughs> in in one word, yes. There has there's yes. definitely been a there's definitely been a change. There's definitely um a, a correlation, if you will. Um, you know, I think the biggest change that we can speak to is sort of like what Monique was just saying about like, listen to your students. I think that you just have this rise in um, employees going to their leaders and saying like, Hey, we want to do something or Hey, like we want you to get involved. You know, these are things we care about. Um, We don't want to just go to work and do our normal day-to-day thing. We want to go to work, do our (laughs) day-to-day thing and then have an impact. And so I think you see companies listening to their employees Um, and really doubling down on their community impact efforts, sort of rethinking their community impact efforts um, in regards to both, both, you know, uh, public health and the pandemic, but also um, to Black Lives Matter and all of the social activism happening. So um, absolutely, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Monica said it well. Um, I guess I would add that I think, you know, I am excited about the energy that has been unleashed around getting involved. I hope it will be sustained. I'm truly, I just like my, my fear is that, you know, something else will come along and we'll forget about it. And, you know, I think every person who's been involved in any kind of civil rights work for a long time knows that you have peaks and valleys. And I really think this is an exciting time to like, make this a permanent part of our work. At least, you know, I'm referring, thinking mostly about the United States. Um, And also just honestly, we love volunteers 
And we also, we need resources. <laughs> so, like, we, I joke like volunteering doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we need volunteers, but we also need, we have to pay our students. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure that's the same for streetwise. Um, a financial investment needs to come with volunteering from an institutional perspective. That would be my like humble request is like, please pair those things together. Um, please also know that for, at least for our program, we have moments of volunteerism and then we have longer term, which is being a mentor. And we're going to need both to make sustained change, investing in a person's life, um, to change, to help influence and open doors for them happens over a period of time. And so I welcome all the volunteers and I also hope that they will stick with us and um, help bring in some financial support because that's a real thing that nonprofits are facing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Our budgets are constrained by employers who can't afford to continue to pay their own employees. And we get that. So um, we really do need both right now. I love what Monique is saying about this sort of sustained commitment. And I think, you know, going back to what I was saying about, you know, volunteer or employees pressuring their leaders, I think it's really, it's going to be interesting to see what those commitments end up looking like from the companies. Um, because if it's just, hey, here's some volunteers, that's a short-term commitment. And so really thinking about, okay, what is what are your goals in your community impact um, and how can you create long-term goals? Not just what are we going to do in the next month so that our employees have some volunteer yep. opportunities, but really like long-term, what do we want this to look like? Um, and like Monique said, like nonprofits are at capacity. Um, and unfortunately yep. what that means is like, we're not going to be able to serve everyone that needs us. Um, and so if your commitment is to really um, impact these populations that we're serving, just like Monique said, we need volunteers, but we also need that um, financial commitment to grow our programs and grow our organization so we can serve those populations and then accept more volunteers and have more volunteers and get your company more involved. So it's it's really the cyclical partnership that's needed where like let's continue to grow together. And that means a lot of different types of resources in the long run. Um, my suggestion to everyone is, you know, absolutely think about the different ways you're committing, whether it's through volunteerism, through pro bono work, through uh, fundraising, but also like think long-term, what are you doing this month? But what are you doing in one year from yep. now? Um, and what are you hoping to like uh, complete and impact in that one year? Um, instead of just like, I want to, I want to do this one thing tomorrow. Um, I think the, that long-term planning is really how you're going to have the most impact. I love that. Like have a strategy. I think that's what, you know, as a company, if you're making a commitment, volunteerism should be a part of your strategy. It should not be the strategy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I don't mean that flippantly because we need so many volunteers to produce some of our most important events around like, you know, judging final intern presentations and things like that. And EAB has been a fabulous um, contributor, both on like actually hiring. You guys have skin in the game. You you. hire our interns, (laughs) you mentor our interns. You are renewing for another year in one of the most difficult years. And we know that's that's a hard decision for everyone to make. So really, like, we appreciate that you sort of modeled that um, and couple that with volunteerism. But it, it should be a strategy. And I think maybe that's, to me, from the outside, it seems like EAB has, like, that kind of approach. And I would encourage people to think about volunteering as a part of a strategy. 
I was going to say the exact same thing. If you want to know what a long-term strategy looks like, EAB is a great example. <laughs> um, you know, doing all the different work. Catherine is also an all-star, so we get to awkwardly compliment her. Um, so you all know how incredible she is. But yeah, just like Monique said, I think really thinking about holistically what that partnership looks like. Talk to Catherine if you have a question. <laughs> yeah, there you thank go. you. Catherine, more work for you. <laughs> you can thank tell you. <laughs> thank you both so much. Um, this has been such a really fascinating discussion and I'm so sad. I know we're coming up on time, but I want to ask one more question before we wrap this up. Um, Monique, you talked about mentorship. We, both of you have talked about um, fiscal or financial support. I'm curious, what are some of the the direct examples of ways people can get involved in virtual volunteering and what are some innovative ways that you've seen your partners supporting volunteerism as it relates to social justice? What a big and wonderful question. Um, so the way we've been able to engage volunteers a little bit differently in this virtual age is um, adapting to things we currently do and adding um, elements that we might not have done in the past. So our big volunteering needs are around, um, uh, net, we used to do something called networking night in person with our juniors. So in addition to serving seniors, we serve ninth and 11th grade in modified programming. And our juniors practice this networking, these skills that, you know, Monica talked about earlier too. Um, and so having volunteers come in and do that, like now happens virtually. And so that's a great way to get involved, learn who our students are, and then think about being a full-time mentor in the next year. We also have final events. So each of our interns present on their internship experience and they go through panel of judges. We've been able to adapt that virtually and actually enable to like offer this to volunteers um, on their own time. So we also as nonprofits are thinking about how do we make this easy for volunteers too? We know that you all have full-time jobs um, just like the rest of us. And so it's in a way it's forced us to think more creatively too about how do we expand opportunities for volunteers in a way that works pretty seamlessly into their um, work day. And so we've been able to do that um, by giving them opportunities to review recorded mock interviews of our, in, of our interns and quickly fill out a survey and let us know how they're doing. That's been fantastic. And we've brought in new partners that way, which has been wonderful. Um, I could go on and on, but I would say there are like the, the pinnacle of volunteering for us is really mentoring and really hiring that intern and working with them for a year um, as a job partner. So they can go to our website and learn more about how to become a job partner. That is sort of peak volunteering for us. Yeah, also just such a good question because I feel like the opportunities are endless to get involved. <laughs> um, like Urban Alliance Streetwise Partners has been fortunate enough to really be able to transition our structured mentoring program to be virtual. So that's a really great opportunity for someone who is interested in sort of a long-term volunteering opportunity. It's a 13-week program, um, all virtual. So now it doesn't even really matter where you are. Um, I'd say the other thing that we've really seen is companies and teams have a really great opportunity to sort of use their specialized skills. Um, so if your team has a specialized skill, uh, because we are in workforce development, that has been really valuable to our mentees. So doing, you know, um, industry discussions for our mentees, doing um, skills building workshops with our mentees, really great. The one thing I'll add to um, this is you, you asked about sort of how people can get involved with volunteerism as related to social justice. Um, 
we've been really trying to work closely with our partners to think about um, employment and, and hiring practices and mm-hmm. HR practices. Um, and so, you know, uh, someone from EAB is actually sitting on our employer advisory board and helping us sort of think about how do we connect with these companies um, and make sure that our mentees have those connections and can get hired by these companies. I think a great opportunity that um, companies and teams have is to first think internally. Um, We're working with companies to say, here are sort of best practices when you're thinking about hiring um, and you want to diversify your hiring. Um, Thinking about HR policies, we really try to be a resource to our, our corporate partners in that way. Um, and then just like Monique was saying, like how, how, when you take that one step further with your partners, can you hire from your partners? Um, yep. And I think that's such a good opportunity when the conversation right now is so about how, how do we um, get uh, more job opportunities for these underserved communities? There are organizations like Streetwise Partners, like Urban Alliance that are like, hey, we have qualified candidates for you. They are ready for you right here. Um, so you don't even need to create a process. We're, we're, we're right here and available for you. Um, so I think that is, I would emphasize that over and over and over again. Yes. Thank you so much. I was vigorously nodding my head. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, this has truly been great. I know we can talk about this all day. So we might want to schedule a virtual coffee chat later. <laughs> uh, I hope you both enjoyed this as much as I have. For now, we we'll probably have to go ahead and wrap this up. But thank you so much for joining us on Office Hours with EAB and for your awesome partnership. Honestly, our employees truly enjoy the impact that they can make through the Urban Alliance and Streetwise Partners programming. So I again, really thank you for that. And I hope you both have a great week. Absolutely. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Bye. Thanks again for listening. Join us next week for a discussion with EAB's Christina Hubbard and Ed Bennett on the issue of financial aid and how it's just as critical to student success efforts as academic advising or student affairs. Until then, I'm Matt Pellish. And from all of us at Office Hours and EAB, we wish you and yours a very happy Thanksgiving.